Hi, and welcome back to another edition of Occupy Interview. Our guest host this week is uh, Robin Lerner again. Uh, he's with Blue Republicans. And our guest this week is Anthem Blanchard. Uh, he's with Anthem Vault. Uh, please uh, say hello, Anthem. Hi there, Terry. Thank you for having me on your show. It's a pleasure Thanks. to be on. Thanks for being here. Uh, this is episode 18, and the show title is Occupy Gold. Um, you can see on the uh, the blog link, <coughs> the blog link there that I was taking a look at the uh, SS Central America uh, technology changed, and they were actually able to retrieve it. I'm hoping you've got some background on that. Uh, can you can you address that, Anthem? Well, I mean, I think that it's a it's a quite a large find of gold, about hundred hundred thousand ounces, uh, if that's a, indeed the total count. I mean, that's you're, you're talking uh, you know billions of dollars you know, worth of the metal. So, uh, yeah, I, I believe that comes out to somewhere around I think it's about seven seven billion dollars worth. I believe that is. Uh, so, no, it, it, it's a Quite a quite a lot of gold. I mean, if, if you put that into context, you know, roughly there's roughly about uh, you know, a little over seven, maybe seven and a quarter trillion dollars worth of gold that's ever been mined that's above ground you know, es- estimates. So you know, probably probably a little bit more than that. Um, my guess would be maybe closer to, to more like eight trillion. But um, you know, in, in any event, just to put that into some context, I think about 0.1 percent of all. Uh, ounces ever mined uh, throughout history, um, so yeah, that, that that's a, a pretty sizable amount of gold. I was that, that oh sorry, yeah. no no. I, I was struck by uh, the, the picture. I think I'm doing this from memory, but it was about eight thousand feet down. Uh, it's been on the bottom for over a hundred, hundred fifty years, somewhere in there, and they had not cleaned that up at all, as I. As my impression, uh, there it sat. They could still read the dates. They could see the marks on the. On, just amazing that it was in that good a condition. And I guess that's kind of the part of the biggest reason why gold has always been used as money. Can can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, in this case, you're referring to the fact that it, it doesn't erode like an iron, for example, or it doesn't have corrosive properties. So. It is a it is a noble metal. It doesn't does not tarnish. So there's some very intrinsic, uh, simplistic, quite frankly, qualities about gold that make it you know, the the best form of money, arguably, that we have. It, it it's not without its imperfections, but uh, relatively speaking, it does make for very useful money. <laughs> Robin, any thoughts? Um. Oh, many things I'd like to ask. <laughs> now, um. Where to start? Where to start? <laughs> so many questions. You know, what I, what I would kind of like to do is get Anthem's answers, I think, to some of uh, the problems that I think are raised by uh, certainly um, kind of, can I say amateur libertarians who sometimes think simple gold standard get, is, is, is the answer to all of our economic woes. Right. And sometimes I think that uh, someone on our side have a, a simplistic um, idea that if we have gold as money, um, you know, we, we get out of the woods in so many respects. Now, there are some stories that we tell on this side of the political liberty tyranny divide, um, and some of which I actually tell myself uh, when I teach about the monetary system, etc. Um, now, one is that old story about how gold, uh, you know, how, you know, there was a goldsmith in the village and the goldsmith puts the gold in his vault and then he writes receipts and the receipts circulate and then the gold prints up, then the goldsmith prints up receipts and then we have, um, you know, for himself and then you have fractional reserve banking, right? And this is an abuse of money. Uh, are you with me, Anthem? You know what I'm talking about here, yeah? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, fractional reserve yeah. banking. Yeah, right. The evolution into fractional reserve banking. Right, and and the story starts from gold, you know, money, uh, proper money being gold. 
Now, when I teach this, which I do because it obviously uh, is a way into very important principles about banking and especially fractional reserve banking, I point out that this history of gold, which is what a lot of libertarians call uh, history of money, which is what a lot of libertarians call it, is actually more of a schematic history. They're actually, um, it's a history, it's a history of money in um, a couple of places at a couple of times. <clears throat> but actually, <clears throat> that isn't what money has always been. That isn't the only form of um, what we might call honest money. Um, honest in the sense of everybody using it, knowing what it is that they're using. Um, that in other parts of the world, at other times, um, m what was called money actually developed quite differently. And it wasn't all about a goldsmith and a vault and coins in the vault. Um, can you speak to that, Anthem? Sure. Now, there's been many different types of money throughout history, you know, not only metal monies, I mean, gold and silver being predominant, but also you know, shells, cows, uh, other forms of livestock. Um, you know, there, there's been you know, other paper currencies. There, there's been a, a variety of different forms of money. But I would say history points to uh, gold and silver as being the you know, predominant, most popular forms of money. And I would argue also you know, prevailed during the the, the stablest times, and hence the the uh, the, the name you know, Golden Age of you know a lot of the the most you know well known civilizations in history. So I, I think that you know there and, and there and there are very simple reasons I would say, Robin, and, and there are very simple reasons why I would say gold, for example, makes a better money than platinum or palladium. Because platinum or palladium are found very selectively you know, on Earth. And, and certain de uh, uh, deposits, and because they are, are so rare, that if a large deposit was found, then it would cause a lot more inflation into the market a lot uh, a lot more quickly than uh, you know, than, than gold, a, a lot more rapidly than gold. Uh, so you know, silver you know has you know similar qualities, more abundantly found. Uh, so you know, in terms of density, for va value density, uh, you know, it, it's not as efficient as gold, but it also has you know some very some, some very nice qualities about it that you know have made it. Decent, a decent form of money. Now, I, I think we can basically take a look at history, and you know, history, you know, it, 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 it often, it often rhymes, right? And so, you know, being able to take a look in the past of what's worked, you know, having assets that have been used you know, as forms of currency, as forms of money, and being able to actually apply technology and you know, very simple transparency, and you know, being able to have you know a, a form of you know free banking, a 21st century form of free banking. And I think it's, uh, I, I, I see, uh, you know, I, I think we just have to get through a lot of the clutter right now uh, from, you know, the, the very large, you know, I, I would call it fractional central, um, you know, reserve mm -hmm. system. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think you can argue both sides of the coin in terms of fractional reserve banking, as long as you're upfront about it. You know, not right. if you're being deceptive, of course, and you're claiming to, you know, run, you know, something that, you know, you're, it's, it's really just holding people's property, like what we do at Anthem Vault, for example, where, you know, we're just serving as a non-bank metals custodian, you know, just like a title shop, basically, for, you know, real estate deeds. So, you know, we're just, we're just, you know, affirming the accounting. And so that's different than, you know, pretending like the old goldsmiths or, you know, or, or maybe not even pretending, but kind of hoodwinking, perhaps, not being, you know, fully transparent, um, uh, you know, to, to folks and, you know, perhaps, you know, having fractional reserve lending to the extent people didn't realize and all of a sudden, you know, people get burnt, um, you know, and there's a bank run and, and you know, people lose their money. And, you know, it's, and so, you know, I, I think that we can avoid a lot of those issues by just being smarter with the way that we structure our financial systems. And it's, it's exciting. <laughs> no, I, so, Anthem, um, do you think there is a way for us to have a fractional reserve monopoly fiat system that is honest in the sense that the people who are bound to use it um, can sufficiently understand it so as not to be exploited through it? Do you think that's possible in principle? No, I, I think I think the the level of difficulty 
uh, is, you know, the fractals of difficulty is so extreme. I mean, you're, you're talking the massive amounts of variables. I mean, even even with being able to you know get information you know firsthand from banks, you know, as happens now, of course, with all central banks. You know, it's even even still. I mean, to actually put those variables together and to be able to try to you know, calculate, you know, rates and things, it, it's it just in terms of economic expansion. I I think it's yeah, it's somewhat tragic, frankly. Um, so, so are you saying then, Anthony? Just I want to make sure I understand that the only that the, for you, um, fractional reserve fiat is. Um, is something we definitely should not have under any circumstances because it's it's always going to be dishonest. I mean, yes, I, I think we have, I, I think we now have better alternatives. I think that there's enough transparency now where we can take that 19th century, you know, the U.S. you know banking model, but you know not have to rely on Pony Express <laughs> yes. to clear bank drafts. <laughs> so. I mean, it's real simple. I mean, it's just, you know, even, even as of 50 years ago, I mean, all, all the New York Stock Exchange, you know, had, had many, many days where they closed where, you know, just doing paperwork. I mean, just, you know, you know, just being able to think about the difference and, you know, paradigm now versus then. I mean, the, the, the cost of communication, the speed of communication has, you know, tremendously increased. And it's just a question of, you know, taking these legacy, you know, systems that we have. And, you know, I, I think that there's a, there, there are a lot of ways that we just have to transition and basically work with what we've got. Um, because I don't think, <laughs> that, you know, the, the large banking institutions are going anywhere anytime soon. I, I'm, that's my opinion, frankly, but I think that it's behooven of everyone, you know, all institutions, including, you know, existing, existing institutions to, you know, start developing parallel plans because I, I don't think I, I think everyone I think the cat's way out of the bag now and it has been for you know at least five years for the, you know the you know anyone that's somewhat financially savvy that you know the existing way of doing you know finance in, in, in the financial system itself you know it, it's not long-term sustainable I mean it, it might be for decades you know it, it I think it I think it probably I think I'm of the opinion more likely than not, you know, it's going to, you're going to see, it's going to be at least 20 more years plus before we really see, you know, the, the existing financial structure start to, you know, show some, you know, serious signs of instability. But, you know, who knows? I don't know. I, no one has that crystal ball because it's kind of uncharted history where you have all of the world, you know, so, uh, you know, so, so much under a single fiat reserve currency. Um, you know, there, there's no real way to, to be able to, to gauge, um, you know, in terms of the speed of of its uh, devaluation. So, you know, it's it's it, it, it's it's a little bit sobering when you think of it from that standpoint. But I think the excitement is that we have all the technology that we need, and or and you're seeing so much development in cryptocurrencies, for example, and you know, different micro lending, I mean, crowdsourcing, fundraising. I mean, we're we're seeing you know these alternative systems being able to handle the same functions, uh, you know, the, the, same, the same work, you know, as you had with these, you know, existing legacy-type structures, but being able to do so efficiently and yet still work together, you know, with legacy structures, you know, companies get big enough, then, you know, they'll, they'll be listed on a public exchange, for example, you know, maybe from, uh, you know, crowdsourcing as, as one example, or, you know, being able to work with existing bank accounts in order to, you know, accept you know, funds from uh, Prosper to do micro lending to someone. So, you know, they're, they're, you know, working through, you know, a financial institution to get, you know, the, the rubber stamped, you know, uh, regulatory license in order to get a model together. So, you know, I, I think it's behooven to all of us to kind of figure out ways to, you know, work with what we've got just to try to get us to, you know, a better place faster. <laughs> and so could, instead can you of just... trying to fight. Okay. Now that makes sense. Okay. Can you just tell us, Anthony? Then um, I don't know. So this is going to be a short question that I know could have a very complex answer, but make it as simple as possible. Um, okay. Uh, what is? Can you describe for us the the monetary, the national monetary system that you would like us to be under in an ideal world? How would it op- What would it be, and how would it operate? Well, in, in, an, in an ideal world, we wouldn't have legal tender laws that mandate that. We have to accept a, a currency by decree, whether it's private or public. 
Uh, so we, we we wouldn't have those laws. We also wouldn't have any capital gains, uh, arguably on any goods, but especially on goods that were specifically used as currency, um, which you could argue could be many, many things. But uh, I think that it's vital to take away barriers to allow you know, the best money systems to thrive because ultimately that's what's going to make trade as you know, efficient as possible. It's going to make our world as prosperous, as joyous, as enjoyable as possible, and that's that achieves my goal in life. I want to live as an enjoy, you know, as as much of an enjoyable life as I possibly can. And so I I think that those those are all you know paramount items to have removed, and then let let the free market decide, let people decide, you know, let's leverage technology, you know, in its transparency, and you know, let bad institutions fail. But does this mean that you would that, not that's have... That's simply what I would do. Which, does that mean, Anthem, that you would not have um, a national currency, that, the, that all currencies would be private and competitive? I mean, in an ideal world, no, yeah, I, I, I would not. Now, you mean, you know, to now stick me into the position of <laughs> controller of the currency. I mean, you know, you can't just, you know, I, I think, you know, it's... Uh, a little mad to think, well, we could just you know, go in and then just turn off all the levers on day one. I mean, there's sure. a, you have to, you know, there's an unwind, there's a transitions. I mean, the, so, but yeah, ideally. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about that transition, but first I want to ask you about the fact that if you have government um, accepting. Uh, taking taxes in one currency, then you don't actually need tender laws because you generate by force a demand for that currency above all others. Um, so, so what do we do? Uh, what do we? And I'm sure that you know, we, if we actually turn off the legal tender laws, that nothing, you know, nothing actually would happen because the U.S. government accepts you know taxes in U.S. dollars, Federal Reserve notes, um, and so you know the demand for those notes uh, will remain ubiquitous. Um, That's right. uh, so, so in this ideal world, do we have to have how do how do we handle that? Do we have to have no taxation, and or does the government have to accept payment in any of the potentially myriad currencies that are privately um, created? Uh, yeah, in an ideal world, I think yes. I mean, I, I think a lot of I think a lot of the exchange mechanisms are fairly easily automated at mm -hmm. this point. Uh, and so that's kind of a, almost a non-issue at this point, which is nice. So, and then okay. you know, I, I think in terms of you know any other considerations, I I I I think it's you know it's difficult to say. I mean, you know, it's difficult to say because currency is such a complex topic because it does it does touch you know virtually every aspect of the economy. I mean, right, mm -hmm. every aspect of an exchange of goods or services, it require you know it typically is going to involve currency. So, okay. Now you pointed out that um, you know, the difficulty of transition, and it always um, occurs to me that uh, transition per se would be hard enough. But the fact that you might, you know, imagine that everybody kind of woke up in one country and decided they wanted to undo their monetary system, um, get rid of the central bank as it currently is, etc., etc. Um, given that there would be another 199 countries that wouldn't be doing that at the same time. The, the difficulties and the complexities and the implications could all be huge. So um, how would you, from where we are today in the United States, uh, begin such a transition to a monetary system that looks like the one that you would like to see? I, I mean, I think the way that you begin is I think you, you start chipping away at the, the simplest items, and I think that's you know capital gain. I mean, for example, gold has a collectibles tax of, you know, up to upwards of 28%. Actually, now it'll be over 30%. Uh, effectively, you know, capital gains, uh, like uh, many other equities uh, and investments, uh, starting January of this year. So, um, you know, I'd love to be able to see at least gold get treated like all other currencies, at the very least, um, and 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 be taxed in a similar manner. And you know, just as a start, but ultimately getting the taxes on any kind of currency, uh, any 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 asset that's used as a currency down to zero, uh, and be able to reduce the friction there and increase competitiveness, and ultimately then you know, start to you know, 
do away with do away with legal tender laws, as you point rightfully point out. There is a, tons of artificial demand uh, if taxes have to be accepted, uh, and, and you know, court judgments have to be paid, and uh, or settlements have to be paid in dollars. But uh, you know, if there is a choice, and you know, it, it is relatively easy. It's, it's pretty much just a matter of just putting in the mechanics of uh, you know exchanging currency from one currency to another. It's not particularly difficult. So you know. It, it, it's. I, I think that's the excitement. Is that it? Really, it, there, there's a lot that could be done. It's just a question of a will to get those get those initiatives, you know, implemented. And you know, it's exciting that you know movements like yours and you know, Blue Republican and you know Ron Paul and you know, we're, we're actually seeing you know people really start talking intelligently about money and about its importance and really I think it's ultimately about property. And you know, it's it's just the the importance of you know having money that is property and is something that you know, is something of value. And I think that that's that's going to uh, increasingly come to the forefront. I think is is my prediction. You know, for you know, sometime and you know, once once we do have you know this system start to really transition out in the current system, and we have alternative currencies and. Uh, you know, really start to really start to you know come to the forefront. I mean, I, I think we're just we're just on the very early days. We're just on the very early days of of seeing you know, these you know third alternatives and uh, you know third party um, solutions you know, being developed, and it's exciting. It's really exciting. It's a great space to mm. be in. Hmm. Terry, do you have a question? I've been hogging the conversation. Uh, yeah, I, I could. No, not hogging. I'm, I'm just sitting back fascinated. It's so good to hear this kind of discussion. Uh, I, my first and foremost thought that comes in is uh, we're Occupy America that we're talking from here. And basically one of the few things that does seem to be surfacing that everybody can kind of get behind is end the Fed which would be an instantaneous change, uh, not a 20-year change. It has happened before in history. Jackson ended it. Um, you can make a case for, uh, in fact, a historian named Charles Beard makes a case for the entire reason we have a two-party system was to resist that national bank. And they did knock it out by 1812. Uh, it was reinstituted right after that. That's a long story, too. I'm just saying that it seems to be one of those paradigm shifts that when it actually does happen, we'd better have some ideas put together on what do we replace this with. Because even in a prison over war camp, um, there is a currency there, cigarettes. Tobacco was one of the first uh, currencies in America, largely because we weren't allowed to have uh, gold reserves. It was limited. Um, any thoughts here? Uh, it, this could happen very quickly is the point I'm trying to say. And how That's do right. we get together? I, we we well, better have a plan together for what happens if that does happen. Well, I, I think that that's why you know, seeing developments uh, that are unfolding in cryptocurrency world and how government's deciding to to regulate. I mean, as as a bit you know twisted of the world is, or an indication of it, we're ultimately having at least some kind of notification from how government is going to classify, you know, ends up being very important in terms of you know, private sector actually deciding what to implement and develop as a solution, right? So, you know, we've had really positive judgments in places like Germany, for example, um, and you know, I think that we're going to see, you know, other positive developments around the world as, as countries start to embrace the idea of having you know, parallel, parallel tracks in terms of you know, different payment systems and different, I think ultimately credit systems and you know different. We are we already have that different exchange systems, but really just seeing that blossom and, you know, I, I think that that's a that's something that we you know I think it's important to learn about cryptocurrency. I think I think it's really just the start, but the amount of development and financial services that you know, I've seen you know, already get created and it's just at, at the pace it's getting created, it's it's pretty astounding. So. Uh, you know, again, not without you know many flaws, but I think all in all, you know, Bitcoin makes for you know a really interesting uh, currency. <laughs> so, would, uh, if you can, I'm a little confused on Bitcoin. Um, what 
I'm coming out of classical liberal economics here. Um, I'm, I'm very, very shaky on somebody just choosing a currency um, that's not tied to anything. At the very bottom of the blog page, uh, you'll see a Jude Winiski article, Gold Polaris, where I think he's doing a really good job of explaining the, uh, the classical liberal economics version, where basically there's still going to be a reason for having paper currency. Gold is heavy. Blah blah blah, uh, and and Jude Winiski doesn't see this as being a complicated issue at all. He's saying, "Look, guys, if you can print whatever kind of money you want to make, whether that's cryptocurrency, tobacco, whatever, but if you're getting people that are trading it in for gold, then you need to back off on that money supply level. If you see people by the same token that are trading in their tobacco for for gold." That's vice versa, then print some more. Uh, can you address that? No, well, I, I, I think that, you know, again, Bitcoin, it's, it, it just math, has mathematical value. And yeah, in, in a world where we have you know, fiat money that, you know, arguably just, you know, it really has zero value, but, it, but is, has value due to, you know, force and mandate. Uh, you know, I, and you're seeing all of the complexities that we have today because our payment system is intertwined with our credit system, and payment systems in general are very inefficient, you know, relative and expensive relative to the technology and what's possible, and, and what is available in terms of digital payments. Uh, so I, I think that you know we're we're seeing the market at work um, ultimately, and and I I, I think that. You know, Bitcoin is just a step. I think that the innovation that's coming out of the Bitcoin economy that they're they're just steps ultimately. But it, it's it's ultimately all of the functionality wrapped up within Bitcoin and the network and you know, that that provides it with value. Now, barrier of entry. So can you explain you know, that? Can yeah. you explain that, Anthony? Because yeah. you know, a lot of Austrian uh, and libertarians go on about the importance of money being an asset of inherent value. Now, a, bit, a Bitcoin, kind of in quotes, is not that. And you use the term mathematical value. And you've just said something else about value being, you know, um, caught up in the functionality of the network, blah, blah, blah. What, what actually do you mean? Where, what actually is the nature of that value? And why is it any greater than the value that accrues to fiat currency by virtue that you have to pay your taxes in? Frankly, it, frankly, it isn't. I would argue it's it's about a pair. It, it's it's got about as many pros and cons. They're just different pros and cons, and mm-hmm. I, I think that it, it all points to the complexity of really just the erosion of property rights is really what I think it, it points it points to because right. I mean, there's over I think about a billion and a half dollars is the total value of all bitcoins currently you know, quote-unquote, mind, right? So, I mean, there's obviously people are ascribing tremendous amounts of value. Now, we know that there's been many episodes in history and, you know, John Lawton, be able to, you know, the, you know, tulip mania and all of these, you know, times in history where, you know, people have ascribed absurd values on, you know, certain systems. And, you know, maybe this will end up being another one of those cases. You know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me to see all the, you know, to see kind of the first, you know, these just, you know, quote unquote mathematical value systems of exchange end up imploding. But, you know, I think the 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 fact of the matter is is that you you see how onerous it is for you know you know hundreds of millions, really billions of people in the world you know, in terms of making payments and exchanging value and the expense of the banking system, and you know just the 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 lack of access that you know it, it just in terms of an, from an expense standpoint. I mean, think about people that are just dirt poor. And they have to pay, you know, bank wire fee, you know, to to be able to obtain some kind of, you know, service over the internet, for example. You know, I mean, it's you know somewhere in Africa, let's say, for example. I mean, you know, it, it's all of a sudden, you know, people are saying, well, you know, I'm, this Bitcoin it represents, you know, some kind of measure of energy from, and 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 you know, and there's only something that can be created, and because there's such a big network now of people that, you know, accept it and they have all these other services, that that's enough for me to be able to ascribe, you know, value to it in whatever other, you know, aspects that, you know, people 
find value in it. Now, you know, I, I think again, it's yeah. If, if you just if we just if people felt secure about property rights, then I think it'd be you no know, it'd be a, you know a, a kind of a, a, a zero issue because I think you would ultimately have you know asset asset type cryptocurrencies. But you know, due to the regulatory environments that we live in, you know, throughout the world, you know, that it's just you start talking about a cryptocurrency that's created from any kind of you know, centralized organization. I mean, all, if you have something physical, you have to have somewhere physical to store it. So, mm-hmm. and you know, and that's that's right the the, the biggest con, and so the, the biggest negative. So you know, you you know that's that's where you know you see these alternatives. You know, like uh, you know, cryptocurrencies and you know, being provided. Where it, you know, it, it ascribes so much value. It's really because of it's as a result of how onerous it is to to pay people right now, and really how much erosion there have been of you know property rights because of all restrictions and taxes and you know potential penalties on that that are placed on people for all of these different you know types of exchanges for you know various various reasons. So. You know, Patriot Act. I mean, there, there's you know a, a slew you know the, of, of, of different examples that you can give. All the tax examples we've already stated. Uh, you know, it's it's Legal Tender Act. It's, there, there are all of these. There, there there's so it's it, it's kind of like someone that you know puts obstacles in front of themselves, right? <laughs> We're all our own worst enemy in life, right? So I mean, it, yeah. it, it's almost it, it's really it's that tragic and that comical because I frankly I think it's. You really just we just have to start getting rid of these obstacles and just have you know enough awareness that people are going to start demanding that a lot of these you know the government start removing so many of these obstacles that have been put in over the decades you know not only in the u s but just around the world you know once we I mean, once what, you identify what, the problem you just have to start dealing and implementing the solution one way to remove obstacles of course would be to have a global fiat currency controlled by a little card of men um uh but presumably, I, would I be right in thinking that you would not take that devil's bargain? <laughs> no way, and I, I don't. I, I'm of the opinion that it's never going to come to fruition. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm very familiar with the narrative, um, you know, but maybe sure. not very familiar, but familiar enough with the narrative. But I mean, and maybe I'll be dead wrong. I, I hope, I hope I, I'm, <laughs> I hope I'm right, but. And I, and I think I will be right because I, I think it's it's just so much more efficient. I mean, the more centralized the currency gets, the, the more out of control it ultimately is to to maintain. And you know, I, I just it, it just would be so, uh, you know it would it would blow up instantly. So in an I, ideal, I, I think. so in an ideal world, if I understand you, where you have competitive currencies, private currencies backed by gold. Um, well, gold, have, or you could have various other metals. Okay, so yeah, backed by backed by something precious, something of value, physical value, inherent value, innate value. Um, would it? Would all of the creators of those currencies have to maintain, um, you know, as uh, you know, as their own property in a location over which they have complete control? That you know, the precious metals on which their currencies are backed. And if so, um, you know, don't you still have a bit of a problem of wooden boats? Not literally, but you know what I mean, figuratively. Well, I, I think with you know, being, it's it's uh, you're, there are a few different assumptions here, right? I mean, one tricky aspect is just in terms of observance of property law in different countries, and you know what those rights mean. I mean, ideally, being able to apply the you know traditional you know anglo-saxon property law uh, common law uh, you know property rights i think you know from from that standpoint as long as someone owns an asset then they they, they own it outright and then you know it's and they, own, they own it as property you know i think that's that's the key and, and you know property law skews toward the individual client while securities law and banking law skews toward the benefit of the institution. So I think that's critical to, to always be able to keep, you know, that asset, you know, with you know, without any other liability. So without, you know, yes. w- without any potential third party liability that's not 
you know, ascribed by the client, you know, for, you know, whatever reasons they want to leverage their own assets. So, I mean, it's record keeping. I mean, we're, we live in an age of, you know, every, all record keeping is digital, right? I mean, it's, it's just a matter of will and a matter of. I, no, I, 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 I see that's what you mean there, Anthony. Excuse me for interrupting, but, but what I'm saying is, um, uh, you know, we can keep the record, records digitally, but at any given time, someone controls the physical asset. And the only way, you know, if the, if, if the wealth is being transferred, the only way ultimately to secure that transfer with the asset is to transfer the asset. I mean, physically, the asset has to move. Otherwise, you still have this problem of, well, it's in his vault, but it's got my name on it, and I've got the document to prove it. Right? You still have that third-party problem. That, so that's right. It, and, but that's why you need diversity, right? So instead of just having one centralized body or just one, you know, vault operator, for example, you have many, many different currencies and you have many many even below that different vault operators you know maybe even mm-hmm. you know, just like what we see the beginnings of now right in our you know very very early you know nascent industry of you know fractional gold ownership i mean the mm-hmm. the companies in our industry typically have you know a few different vault operators you know so mm-hmm. uh, you know as 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 their models develop and so you know it's it's just important just to to you're never going to. We're never going to get utopia. I, I believe. I don't believe there really is such thing. And you know, life would be pretty boring probably if there were. But you know, I think it's just important to to say, okay, well, you know, what's the best? What's the best solution? You know, what what are the best solutions? And you know, what? How can we make things better? Maybe maybe it's not the best even. But how can we just how can we just do a little better than what we have now? And you know, I, I think and in, in, it just happens that. In finance, it, we, it is kind of, <laughs> time, you know, t- time is ticking to, in, in, from the standpoint that, yeah, I don't, I think it's going to be my, I'm the, of the opinion that this system is going to just kind of, kind of just keep, keep going and just be kind of more, more of a grind and slower and slower and slower and, and, and keep losing efficiency. But, you know, that ultimately hurts all of us because ultimately it, it's, everyone feels, you know, almost the vast, vast majority of the population feels the burden. And, you know, that, that you know, the longer we have the existing system in place and it, it, without having, you know, it, the longer that, that parallel, the parallel systems, you know, take to evolve, you know, the, the faster they evolve, then, you know, the faster, you know, things are, are going, in my opinion, to, to be a lot better, you know, to, to change, you know, and, and, and have this very transformative change um, in, in, in terms of, you know, having a, a really a new decentralized system and a new involvement in the chain of banking, in the history of banking. It's gone from, you know, the beginning, you know, central banking and modern banking, you know, with the Bank of England to, you know, private central banking, you know, with the Federal Reserve to, I think private decentralized banking, you know, which is what you had to an extent, and you know, you had that in the 19th century in the U.S. and you've seen that pop out. But I think actually being able to see that as you know the predominant global system, I think is what's coming next. So, and and not a one-world type, you know, SDR type currency. Mm-hmm. But. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. You know, I, I obviously don't have a crystal ball, so you know, nor do I pretend to be able to say. So uh, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I'd like That's to. As good as any. Can I interject a point here? Uh, uh, that it's once again, the if that change happens almost overnight, which has happened before in history. Um, for any number of different reasons. What we're trying to do here is is put some thought into how do we get civilization back off its knees if that happens. And, and you can make a very good case that um, that's what people were in the streets doing in New York with the Occupy movement. There is going to be a change. It is going to be an extremely rapid change is, is one possible crystal ball solution. And if so, then what we're doing right now is trying to get some kind of idea of what different options do we have. Um, we, we don't have to be a 
perfect shot here is, is what I'm trying to say. We're just trying to take a look at if we do occupy Wall Street and if we do end what Carol Quigley says is basically just a fraudulent deal, and, and he does an extremely superb job of documenting that. Uh, when that breaks down, what do we do from there? Um, and well, I mean, just, go ahead. Yeah, just, just, just to address, you know, the Occupy Wall Street. You know, while I am, you know, sympathetic to the, you know, frustrations of you know, feeling, you know, the 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 effects of you know monetary inflation, I definitely think that you know the anger was very misplaced on Wall Street. You know, I I I frankly, you know. Don't I? I just I think that was the wrong place to look, and really the right place to look is really Washington. I mean, I understand the argument of you know, yeah, you have you know, you have the dog wags the tail, but you know, I I think now more than ever, I mean, we have access to information instantly if we want it on the internet, and it's just so much. Where it's so much faster to get information than it ever into fact check than it ha- ever has been before. I mean, also a lot easier to disseminate, you know, a lot more nonsense, a lot, a lot faster and easier than ever before. But you know, I, I think I think it's important to remember that it, it's the government has forced the private sector to play by you know perverse sets of rules, and I would say perverse sets of rules is because there's so many freaking rules that. It's they're perverse because it's they're you know hundreds of thousands of pages of federal code that you have to abide by. So how can any human possibly expect be expected to <laughs> memorize all of that code? I mean that's not how we're wired. So it's you know it's 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 asking for you know violations just in terms of the enormity. And and in yeah. in in terms of what's disallowed or illegal, I think that's a superb point, and and really that's once again what we're trying to take a look at here is simplistically, it's very easy to say get rid of the current system, uh, but replacing that system, that's a little trickier, um, and and basically if we take a look at the the blog there, uh, we're talking about. Uh, the end of the Jesse James gang. Uh, there, there was a a group of people that were trying to steal money from a banker, specifically Aldrich Ames. Um, but the problem they ran in the problem they ran into was well, it wasn't Aldrich Ames's money; it was the people's money in that town. On a very simple baseline gut instinct that's where this all comes back to is hey uh, that's not wall street's money that's our money and money is a store of wealth um the james Dane got shot to ribbons and it was effectively ended by making that little mistake do you see any uh, what you could identify the james gang uh the blog jokes that if you're going to rob a bank you better be too big to jail the uh, our our point over here is also it's well documented that there are bank robbers right now uh, that seem to feel they're too big to jail. But what if that changes? And and the real key here is this isn't an accident. All this complexities and the murkiness um, it's been projected. That's been the plan to make this look difficult. Uh, James Gang found out. No, on the on the on the visceral sense of no, you're not going to take our money. It instantaneously happened for them. Uh, can you? Get, that that's kind of the point we're looking at here. Is it, when we get out of the abstracts, we're talking about people's lives. And and Robin, again, I, I wish you could kind of touch base because this has a. You did an article there that's absolutely superb. But can you kind of touch base on why this is? When it comes right down to it, each individual needs to figure out what we're going to do here. Uh, this is a survival issue. Hello. Anthem, go ahead. Yeah, I'm. I'm here. I'm here. Did you Did you want Robin or or my uh, or, or me you, to answer you, you that? You should. You should answer it. Do you have a crack at that one? Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, again, I mean, I I think you have to 
you, you look at the equities markets and when when you when you have bouts of hyperinflation and or extreme inflation even and you know you see you know people turning to the equities markets because that you know, equities ultimately represent a currency of a company right or you know a, a currency of you know that you know whatever whatever that that exchange you know traded item is now in terms of understanding credit risk and counterparty risk i mean that's a whole other animal and you know that's why i mean even you know, you know uh Warren Buffett and you know some of these you know huge well known you know names in in equities you know have said traditionally you know understand the risks of you know being you know having your shares at you know held with a with with a bank custodian because there ultimately is credit and counterparty risk there so you you want to hold those shares privately so but that that's maybe a subject for another show but you know, I, I, <laughs> I think I, I think it's important to you know be able to 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 leverage other institutions' know-how in order to help provide yourself with as much of a you know equal footing as you can you know relative to you know other players. Now you know what that means. It's uh, <laughs> so much easier said than done because it just seems like unfortunately really sadly you see a lot of institutions that seem to be saying one thing publicly, but then you know to their and then, you know, having different positions, you know, at times on their own book. So, you know, which, yeah, you know, on the one hand, you say, well, you're making a market in something, but, I mean, if you're really being an advocate for a position, that's a different situation. So, um, you know, and being able to, to be, you know, I, I just think that, you know, there's, you have, you have to be savvy. And ultimately, I think the biggest, the big overall issue is that fraud is arbitrarily yes. and loosely enforced. There you go. And, uh, and, and dead on. You know, and and, and, and and selective, and it's also very murky, you know, in terms of what is considered fraud. So, you know, I, th- there just needs to be a, a lot more simplicity, and, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, the reason that there's so much complexity is because the government has a monopoly on money, and, you know, and, and, and ultimately, you know, that... Any time that you have a single entity, you know, performing, uh, uh, you know, some type of task or service, whatever it is, you know, you're, you're ultimately going to have extreme amounts of inefficiency. It's just the nature, you know, of the situation. So, I mean, that, that's why I'm actually, you know, I, 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 I'm really excited about a lot of things like, you know, you know, freer travel between countries or, you know, having having easier immigration between countries. I think that can make a lot of our, you know, our, our lives better because it gives us choice. And anytime you have competition and choice, you know, for you know whatever and whatever the case is, I think ultimately the you know the recipient is going to be you know the individual, you know that and and and, and the receiver of you know the, the the benefit or the the outcome result of the service. So, you know that that's uh, it's just kind of important I think to get to the root of you know, why things kind of are the way they are, and then, you know, figuring out ways to, you know, kind of surround, you know, the route to help, you know, help provide support and stability and, and you know, that there's there's a whole lot of, of, of support and opportunity that, you know, it's, it's already apparent. I mean, again, seeing, you know, just in our world of finance and, and, and money and currency, I mean, seeing all of the evolution, you know, really since the, you know, beginnings of the Internet, and cryptocurrency and interest there and, you know, digital currencies and you know, just, the, just the evolution. I mean, there's just there's been a, a, a tremendous, tremendous amount of development and effort and, and, and time and innovation that's, that's gone in, into the industry. Got about 12 minutes in yeah, that's, uh, the hour left. Uh, Robin, can you... Uh any other yeah, I think I, I'd like I'd like to. I mean, there's so many great things you've touched on, and oh, I, I you know can't do any of them justice. But um, I'm interested. I don't even know if this question is answerable. But Anthony, if you could, um, you know, kind of be king for a day and make fundamental changes to banking law um, and or regulation, starting off where we are right now with the institutions that we have now. What changes would you be making to our financial sector? Um, and I, I ask that question completely on board with you that we have a state corporate, you know, a state financial corporation axis that you know, in which the the, the um, everything is so complex that fraud can't even be identified, but it's you know highly facilitated by the system. 
for the benefit of everybody on the axis, it seems. Um, but what, so what changes, what changes would you make just in terms of, you know, bank, of cha- the nature of banks and banking um, and the regulations that govern them? Well, I mean, honestly, the, my, my first, the, you know, caveat is that I really don't know enough about being a bank regulator to even pretend to provide you know, anything more than just you know, very kind of broad strokes because you know, that there's it, my my view would be you know to try to not be disruptive but understand that you know we need to usher in other solutions around and really you have to really lower the barriers of entry you know for for others right. to be able to, right. to have competitive solutions around you so you know for me it would be more I think a question of you know items like the Patriot Act. And you know a lot of the revisions with the Patriot Act and and and, and some of the restrictions there that mm-hmm. you see you know on non-banking institutions, for example, um, you know money service businesses, money transmitters, that you know that there there the regulations that could be made a lot clearer and you know or and or you know minimized you know it, it just you know streamlined eliminated in some cases. You know, those that would be more my focus in trying to, you know, usher in competition. I, I think without, you know, try to minimize disruption. We've got about uh, ten minutes left, and uh, could you amplify a little bit on how is the Patriot Act affecting this issue? Um, I, I, that's something I've never really thought about that much, and I think that's a superb point. Can you go into a little sure. more detail there? Sure. Well, I mean, the, the, first of all, the Patriot Act is uh, quite voluminous, so there's a lot to it. But a lot of the Patriot Act actually, and it's really surprising to a lot of people, has really more than any other topic to do with you know, financial institutions and financial regulation and any money laundering provisions. And you know, there, there, there's some items hey, that make sense. You know, you, you're being able to you know have a, a certain amount of assurance of you know, who, who you're dealing with or, you know, minimizing fraud risk from a business standpoint. But the, the, one, of the, one of the major issues, you know, in general is the amount of potential liability. And, you know, I, I kind of call it the, you know, the, the sword of, of Damocles and, you know, being able to just have the sword over your head and just, you know, very, very kind of, uh, you know, it, it's very amb- ambiguous. It's, it's, it's very, it, there's not a lot of um, clarity in terms of, you know, what is considered, you know, best practice and, and where are thresholds. And that really makes it extremely difficult from a business standpoint to have to plan for. You know, especially, it really hurts innovation the most because large companies can provision for that. I mean, they have legal departments for it. They have excess capital, right? Banks have, you know, capital that they'll you know, put, put aside to pay fines. And, but, you know, in terms of new companies or smaller financial institutions that might want to really embrace, you know, regulation. I mean, we're actually lucky in the sense that you know, from, an, from an Anthem Vault standpoint, and that we are a precious metal dealer. And so, but we still have a lot of, you know, we, we, we follow by the Patriot Act. We know our clients to the T and, you know, we, we have to. And yet, you know, we are, you know, relatively speaking, light touch relative to, you know, money transmitter, money service business, other designations, um, you know, in, in terms of other uh, other financial institutions. So, and I think that that's just a, a microcosm. It really is just one example of, I, I think, the overall issue in terms of complexity. And, I, I mean, anytime, anytime you have complexity, you have lack of communication, lack of understanding. Anytime you have lack of communication or understanding, you have lack of trust. Anytime you have lack of trust, you know, you get all of those negative things, you know, anger, breakdown, you know, failure, all, all of, you know, that, that's, and, and, and that's, I think, the, the core issue is that you have, there has to be, you know, more clarity uh, in terms of the law. And, and, and it has to be instilled in, you know, in, in, in uh, case law and in precedent. And you're not arbitrarily just, you know, decreed by, you know the next set of governors, or the next, you know, the, the, the next, you know, set of, of of government heads. Are there any are there any privileges that banks banking corporations have um, in law that other institutions do not that you would see eliminated? 
Well, I mean, it's just the nature of, from an accounting standpoint, for example, I mean, uh, as a depositor, for example, of a bank, I mean, you are legally an unsecured creditor. So, I mean, you, you know, credit default swap has more preference than a bank deposit, you know, as a credit. That's a good point, you know, you know and a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> so thank you for mentioning it. Yeah. Now, could yeah, you, it, it, it's a crux. Could you elaborate a little bit? I, we've only got about two or three minutes for the answer, but I, sure. I'm, I'm a little unclear on what you just said. Sure. Well, I, so I, I, when, when you put cash or a check at a bank, it is a deposit. That deposit is actually uh, it, it's, it's an unsecured liability, ultimately. So if the bank defaults, that's why there is FDIC insurance to cover, because from the bank standpoint, you're an unsecured creditor. You're you're lower on the totem pole than you know, even like a you know a credit default swap holder and. Yeah, I, I'm, again, I'm, I don't refuse to be an expert in banking law, but you know, I, I know that you don't have first priority, and I know that with you know property law, you do have first priority. Um, in other and, words, and say once you put your cash in the bank, it's not your cash anymore. You're loaning right. it to the bank. It's owed to you. It is owed yeah. to you. And that's how banks make loans. That's how fractional banking, you know, it, it works, right? They bank, you know, you deposit a thousand dollars, the bank. You know, loans. You know, nine hundred of it, or more like you know, nine hundred well, dollars of it. But yeah. Just to be clear, because this is something I I teach, and and I think this is another. Since you bring it up, Anthony, this is another area where there's kind of a a misunderstanding, uh, certainly among people who I tend to agree with politically. So that textbook fractional reserve thing, you know, you put in ten, and then the bank can lend nine, and blah blah blah, whatever. Um, it it is it is not the case, and has not been the case, and will never be the case, all the while we have our current banking system, that a bank cannot loan money because it doesn't have enough capital deposits. Um, if you're a good if you're a good risk, the bank a bank will always be able to create the money into existence to lend it to you, and then through you know overnight transactions or whatever other transactions, um, ensure that um, their books are reading as required to enable them to make that loan. So it's not actually the case that the bank has to have the money that a certain amount of deposits before it can make a certain amount of loans. No, no one will ever go into a bank that wants to loan money to him and be told, sorry, we would like to, but we cannot because we don't have enough deposits. That will never, that, that isn't actually how it works, despite the theory in the textbooks. That's fascinating, too, and probably another show all by itself. Hopefully we can get some people that can help us with more of the banking specialties. Uh, we've got about... Uh, Two minutes left. <laughs> we haven't fixed the entire system of money and the entire history of money. Uh, and, and again, this is Occupy America. The biggest problem with Occupy America is the perceived concept of they want to steal people's money. Um, poor economics that it's based on. And what we're trying to address here is, well, what kind of economics should that be replaced with? Um, Keynesian economics is probably not going to be an answer that's going to work any better than it's worked at any time before. Quigley calls it uh, orthodox and unorthodox. Uh, some other people would call it Jesse James theft. Uh, somewhere, somehow, this issue is going to get addressed. And I thank you guys for taking a really good first cut. This is the first time we've actually tried to even have a discussion over this issue, just simply because it's not easy. Uh, any last thoughts, guys? Uh, two minutes left. Anthem? Well, I, I guess just real quickly, you know, thank you again for the opportunity, Terry, and uh, thank you, Robin, as well. Uh, and thank you. I just, it's been you know, great. Just, uh, I appreciate that. I Just to, to give us a, a, a little quick plug, if I can, uh, you know, just you know, Anthem Vault, we're trying to help provide people with, you know, a parallel uh, alternative and insurance for their bank deposits, insurance for their stocks and their stock brokerage account in the form of 
physical gold and silver that they own. We vault professionally for them. We insure for them. You know, people would never be able to get the insurance rates that we're able to get uh, for them commercially. Legally, they own it as their property, but they can sell it as easily as they can you know, access you know, funds that are transmitted to their bank account. So it's easily hook into their bank account and, and you can receive cash uh, via electronic funds transfer and you can buy by electronic funds transfer. So only $25 minimum and no minimum storage fees. So you know, the, the mechanism, I built it with people in mind knowing that people will want to use, you know, something that they're not going to get nickel and dimed and, you know, not have minimum, minimum fees like you do at a bank account. So, you know, it provides you with a true, uh, you know, a, a, a account, a savings account alternative, you know, to complement, you know, your existing bank account, but in property that you own. I, you're, I think you really touched on the main point of this, uh, to me anyway, which is because we can talk to you, we know that trust is there. We're not worried about having to change this system. Um, and that's what we're looking to find here. Robin, thanks again for being with us. We'll probably have some more shows on this. I don't think we've quite got a complete solution yet. Uh, we didn't really think we would have. But it's sure great to take a first crack at being able to, uh, to address the problem. Guys, it's been a great show. Thanks for standing. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you all again. Uh, this is Occupy Interview. Check with us again. Hopefully we'll have another show here soon. Bye-bye.